Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We will start this morning by explaining what will happen. This is The Reckoning, and I'm David Maher. Quarter past nine Eastern Standard Time. Now it's already at the front of the Victorian Supreme Court building complex here, the queues have started forming not only of survivors and survivor groups, but also of Cardinal Pell's supporters. In the eyes of the world, we're watching such a significant decision. As Australia's most senior Catholic, Cardinal George Pell awaits a decision on his appeal against child sex abuse convictions. We've been waiting 11 weeks now, and... Over those weeks, there's been endless speculation back and forth. There are three things that could happen today. Everything is overshadowed by the forthcoming appeal. Outside the court this morning, in light rain, there were Pell supporters and massive press, umbrellas and cameras, and a mess of confusion along the footpath while we queued from about 6.30 in the morning. Eventually we were allowed in and we quickly filled the benches and then waited. I've really in my life heard a more silent room. It was so quiet. The judges came in looking fit and ready for the task. And then George Pell appeared looking wretched. He's lost weight, he looked a bit ragged and he was ashen pale. I will now read a summary. Then the Chief Justice began. By a majority of two to one, the Court of Appeal has dismissed Cardinal George Pell's appeal against his conviction for the commission of sexual offences. He will continue to serve his sentence of six years imprisonment. Pell's appeal had failed. In the Victorian Court of Appeal, they are wrapping up proceedings at the moment. And the reaction when it was announced that the appeal had been dismissed, you could hear the reaction from outside of court, inside the courtroom. Break out the champagne or the holy water. Break out whatever you want. Put it on your microscope. Don't let them do this again. Our children now are further protected than ever. And as survivors, 
we are now also being heard, believed, and we have now, what can we say, it is a glorious day for us as survivors everywhere. I was in the actual courtroom and... I was there with my colleague, Melissa Davey. From where I was sitting, I had a direct view of Pell. He didn't really react much to the decision. Um, he did occasionally bow his head. He looks very dishevelled. His hair has clearly grown out quite a bit since he's been in prison. There's a bald patch that's um, much bigger than, than the last time I saw him. When the rather opaque way in which the Chief Justice announced the court's decision sank in, The room was still extraordinarily quiet, but you could hear people breathing, gasping, deep, shocked breathing. There wasn't much reaction in the room apart from hearing journalists frantically typing. Uh, I was speaking to a survivor, Leonie Sheedy, who said that she was sitting with another abuse survivor and they were holding each other's hands as the decision was read out. And um, Leonie Sheedy said that she let out a small gasp, but that overall there was no audible reaction in the room. And then, as the Chief Justice kept reading her summary, her very dry summary, the tension seemed to just disappear from the room, to be replaced by a kind of exhaustion. The air was just exhausted. And it just went through to the finish in a quite a kind of perfunctory way. At one point, Pell had been sitting with a sort of a slight, slight grimace. Um, he bowed his head for a minute as if he was just gathering himself. And then his head came up and the same kind of immobile dignity that has marked his presence in the dock throughout these proceedings returned. And he was unreadable, unreadable mask. But God, what must be going on behind that mask? Before describing in summary form why the court has reached the decision it has, there is some relevant context of note. Chief Justice Ferguson told us when she delivered the decision that they really took this task very seriously and they very, very carefully considered the evidence. And Ferguson made a point of noting that. And as she said when she was reading out a summary of the court's findings, this was a purely factual inquiry. This was not a complex legal debate here about the rules of evidence or any of the many complexities that can crop up in sex abuse trials. It was purely facts. Did the facts stack up against Pell? They came to the conclusion, or two of the judges came to the conclusion, that they did. In a sense, it was very simple, but it was a big task. 30 hours of video um, heard not just once, she said, Um, not just once. They saw everything that the jury had seen. They saw all of the evidence. They went to all of the places. They examined the exhibits. They did it all over again from scratch. And they backed the jury. And the way that these cases run is that it's up to the jurors to decide who they believe and what they take as strong evidence. It was entirely reasonable, the judges essentially found, that 
they believed the complainant, that they found him a compelling, truthful witness. And the jurors are entitled to do that. They alone are the judges of the case. And they did that based on the evidence before them, which all of the appellant judges reviewed. The judges went to the cathedral. They did the tour that the jurors did. They reviewed some 30 hours of video evidence that was recorded. They read over some 2,000 pages of transcripts. Some parts of it multiple times. They examined the robes. They examined the robes. The robes were in exhibit at the trial and had been available to the jury in the jury room during their deliberation. And when Pell's defenders list the 10 or 12 or 13 impossibilities of the case against him, the robes are always there. The defence relied on categorical statements by Monsignor Portelli, the Prefect of Ceremonies to Cardinal Pell, and by Mr Potter, the sacristan, that it was not possible to pull the Cardinal's robes to the side. Pell's defenders have with scorn accused his critics, accused the lawyers, accused the press, accused the police of not understanding the nuances both of faith and Catholic practice, and in particular not realised that the robes of an archbishop made it impossible for him to commit a sexual offence while wearing them. The robes were not so heavy nor so immovable as the evidence of Monsignor Portelli and Mr Potter had suggested. We found that the robes were capable of being manoeuvred in a way that might be described as being moved or pulled to one side or pulled apart. I like that they addressed the robe issue without dwelling on it because it's been such a big focus of the defence case and those who don't believe the victim. But Ferguson just said, look, they weren't cumbersome, they weren't too heavy to be manoeuvred, and then she kind of moved on. And I thought that was interesting. And what we also know from the five-year inquiry by the Child Sexual Abuse Royal Commission is that children were raped all the time by priests in their robes, sometimes in public, sometimes in private, in churches, in corridors. In sacristies. In sacristies, in homes. On altar steps. And it was not unusual. Against the claims of his accuser, Pell mustered nearly a couple of dozen witnesses... ..who held official positions at the cathedral... ..to say, look, this couldn't have happened because the routines of the cathedral after Mass are this, this, and I was here and I was with so-and-so and I'm wearing this and I'm, I'm, and I'm always accompanied until I'm not wearing that. We refer to them as the opportunity witnesses... This was a large body of evidence that was brought to the court and re-examined by the judges, but the majority of the judges, in the end, put it to one side and they said that, you know, 22 years had passed, which was a difficulty for the accuser as well as those witnesses who came forward to, uh, to back Pell, and that one of the problems of that kind of evidence is that they were talking about Um, rituals repeated week after week, year after year, involving the same participants. In the same setting, performing the same rituals and following the same routines. And while on the one hand that gave a picture that suggested it was very difficult for this abuse to have taken place, on the other hand it raised the strong possibility that people weren't remembering the particular events that happened on a particular day because what they had in their minds 
were the rules and the routines, but rules and routines not always followed. Unfortunately, many of these witnesses weren't that compelling in describing the rituals of church. Why not? Because... The evidence of the opportunity witnesses varied in quality and consistency and in the degree of recall. Some of them said that it was possible that two choir boys might be able to break away. Some of them said that the procession outside of the church cathedral did break down, that boys did run amok a little bit, that they did move out of line. Some said that it wasn't always customary for Pell to stand on the cathedral steps after mass and wait there until the choir boys had left. Others said that Pell actually was seen with choir boys before and after Mass in his robes. Now, in Pell's video statement that was played to the court, this is the interview with police in Rome that was played to the court, Pell said he never had anything to do with choir boys. And choir boy after choir boy after choir boy said, yeah, Pell used to come into the choir room. He'd come and talk to us after Mass. He was still wearing his robes. So actually, there was a lot of evidence to the contrary. Cardinal Powell's case was that the complainant's account was a fabrication or a fantasy, that it was implausible, and that in any event, the evidence of the opportunity witnesses taken as a whole combined to make the complainant's account either literally impossible or so unlikely it's of no realistic possibility. Everything in this case depended on the judge's attitude to Pell's accuser. If you believe the accuser, Pell loses the appeal. Justice Maxwell and I accepted the prosecution's submission that the complainant was a very compelling witness, was clearly not a liar, was not a fantasist, and was a witness of truth. If you did not believe the accuser, Pell wins the appeal. I respectfully dissent. And that was the ground on which one of the three judges, Mark Weinberg, dissented from the other two. He didn't believe the accuser. In my view, upon the whole of the evidence, it was not open to the jury to be satisfied beyond reasonable doubt of the guilt of the applicant. Something needs to be said about Weinberg. Weinberg is a brilliant criminal lawyer, one of the most brilliant in this country. I would refuse leave to appeal on grounds two and three I publish my reasons for judgment. He is a judge of such skill and perception that it's just kind of widely acknowledged everywhere that that man should have been on the High Court. He is lucid and brings to bear many, many years of experience, more years of experience than the other two members of the Court of Appeal on the matter of criminal cases. But... This is actually not an appeal that turns on subtle points of law. It turns on the facts. It turns on your assessment of the facts and the credibility of the witnesses. That's a gut thing. And Weinberg has to be respected for a gut view that dissents from the other two judges. In his dissenting judgment, Judge Justice Weinberg found that at times the complainant was inclined to embellish aspects of his account. He concluded that his evidence contained discrepancies, displayed inadequacies, and otherwise lacked probative value, so as to cause him to have a doubt as to the applicant's guilt. I think Weinberg was just saying that the complainant's account did contain discrepancies and it did contain 
some unbelievable elements. Now, Ferguson said that her and Maxwell agreed that that's not unusual in child sex cases, but for Weinberg it was a factor that meant that he thought the jurors must have had a reasonable doubt. Now, the way that appeal works is that only a majority of the judges need to agree. It doesn't have to be unanimous amongst the three judges. And so, of course, Pell lost. But I think that a lot of people will focus on Weinberg's dissenting opinion. A lot of Pell supporters will now hone in on that, and that will be their focus in the coming weeks. Pell supporters have um, an odd view of what has mattered in this long process. So the jury that mattered for them is the first jury, the one that was hung, the one that didn't make a decision. And claims are made about the way they voted, claims that are, as far as I can tell, absolutely impossible to, um, to prove. Um, but for them, that's the real verdict. Not the one that followed, not the one that convicted Pell, but the, but the split jury. And already you can see after only a few hours from the decision of the Court of Appeal, you can see emerging the notion that Weinberg's is the real verdict, not the other two judges. The real one is Weinberg. And the question will be, firstly for Pell's lawyers, whether Weinberg's view will give them the basis that they would need to appeal to the High Court. That's, that's a decision they're mulling over right now. My hunch is that the High Court is not going to be tremendously enthusiastic about getting mixed up in the Pell case. For this reason again, the High Court is about determining the law. This appeal was about determining the facts. A lot of people will also be saying, well, this is just more proof that we need a judge-only trial system in Victoria. The judges, the three appellant judges couldn't agree, but... What I would say to that is that the evidence does not show that judges get it any more right than jurors. There is no strong evidence that suggests that judges are better placed to determine guilt than a body of 12 people who use their life experiences, who use very clear directions from the judge to assess the evidence before them and come to a decision. The argument has been over the last few months that the police working in cahoots with the press and with other elements that hate the Catholic Church and have a personal distaste for Pell have made a situation where Pell is so loathed in the community that no jury can judge him fairly and that the jury was innately biased by all the wicked activities of press and police, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and essentially driven by a kind of mob passion to tear Pell down. Then three judges look at the same evidence and they back the jury. Now, whether this is going to rein in the flamboyant conspiracy allegations of Pell's defenders, we'll see over the next few weeks. I suspect it's not. But had Pell been judged by a judge alone, it looks at this point as if the result would have been exactly the same. Mel, what's the reaction you've noticed today to the verdict? There was definitely a sense of shock amongst the survivors and advocates who were there in the court, um, not necessarily because they thought that the case was weak and that Pell would 
succeed in his appeal, but more because it's so rare to see someone so powerful held to account. And I think it gave them a sense of hope that things are slowly changing because we have so many examples of people in power not being held to account. Because we're not used to seeing power thwarted like this. We're just not used to it. And this is a mighty figure who on the evidence essentially of one young man has been completely destroyed. A lot of people have made a big deal of the fact that this is the complainant's word alone against Pell. That's not unusual at all in cases like this. That's the very way in which sex assault cases occur. Rarely are there witnesses. Rarely do these things happen in public. It's always, usually, the victim's account against the defendant. That's right. It's Why is that such a big deal to people? Uh, I just... Well... It's a big it's it's a big deal to people in rape cases as well. But there are there are people out there who defend Pell by saying you can never convict anybody on the word of an accuser alone. And if you go down that track, then then an enormous swathe of convictions, secure convictions for rape, for child molestation, for all sorts of terrible crimes against people become impossible. Mm. It's yeah. not the rule. It's a rule that's hedged about. It's got to be very careful. Um, The evidence has got to be extremely convincing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you cannot ban the conviction of people on he said, she said, or indeed in this case, he said, he said. How are we going, all right? And we're all set. Yeah. The complainant has always kept a very, very low profile in this case. He has not wanted the publicity. He has not wanted to be a face for survivors and advocates, though he has said that he supports them. Thank you for your interest in this case. And in his statement today... My client does not wish to make any particular comment except for the following statement. ..made through his lawyer after the decision was handed down... I am relieved by the decision of the Court of Appeal. It is four years since I reported to the police. The criminal process has been stressful. The journey has taken me to places that, in my darkest moments, I feared I would not return from. The justice machine rolls on with all of its processes and punditry, almost forgetting about the people at the heart of the matter. Despite this, I appreciate that the criminal process has afforded Pell every opportunity to challenge the charges and every opportunity to be heard. I am glad he has had the best legal representation that money can buy. There are a lot of checks and balances in the criminal justice system and the appeals process is one of them. I just hope that it is all over now. Some commentators have suggested that I reported to the police somehow for my own personal gain. Nothing could be further from the truth. I have risked my privacy, my health, my well-being and my family. I have not instructed any solicitor in relation to a claim for compensation. This is not about money and it never has been. Some commentators have suggested that somehow I am out to cause damage to the Catholic Church. I am not on a mission to do anybody any harm. 
Although my faith has taken a battering, it is still a part of my life and a part of the lives of my loved ones. I am not an advocate. You wouldn't know my name. I am not a champion for the cause of sexual abuse survivors, although I am glad that those advocates are out there, but that is not my path. After attending the funeral of my childhood friend, the other choir boy, I felt a responsibility to come forward. I knew that he had been in a dark place. I had been in a dark place. I gave a statement to the police because I was thinking of him and his family. I felt that I should say what I saw and what had happened to me. I had experienced something terrible as a child and I wanted some good to come of it. I would like to acknowledge my friend who passed away, the other choir boy, and to pay my deep respect to him and to his family. I would like to acknowledge the courage of those people who reported to the police. For one reason or another, your matters did not proceed. My heart goes out to you. In February, due to other cases not going ahead, I ended up in the spotlight alone. The suppression order was to be lifted and I suddenly found myself at the centre of worldwide media interest. My journey has not been an easy one. It has been all the more stressful because it involved a high profile figure. I thank the media for respecting my privacy and for continuing to protect my identity. I need to be able to define myself away from all of this. Recently I have started a new chapter in my life as a father. The experiences I have been through have helped me understand what is truly important. I am grateful for a legal system that everyone can believe in, where everybody is equal before the law and nobody is above the law. Now everybody is just left with the task of making sense of this and absorbing the fact that this country has done what no other country in the world has done, which is to imprison a senior cleric for squalid crimes of this kind. He came into the court this morning, we understand, very confident that he'd be leaving by the front door. Now he'll be leaving the Melbourne prison where he's been held for the last months and he'll go out to one of the rural prisons in Victoria where they house pedophiles. And he will know so many of the men out there, other priests, brothers, convicted like him of abusing children under the cover of his faith. He won't be alone. He won't be lonely. Please take Cardinal Powell from the courtroom. Thank you.
adjourn the court, please. This is The Reckoning, produced by Miles Martignoni, Ellen Liebeter, and Joe Koenig for The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.